<laughs> wasn't sure if that was my cue or not. Well, good morning, everybody. As you can tell, I am not Shane Finley. Shane was originally going to be out of town today, and he asked me if I would come and give the message, and then he found out he wasn't going to be out of town, but he still wanted me to come and do the message, so I was fine with that. Happy to be with you guys. My name is Mike Bell. I'm the National Director of Hungry for Life, which is the missions agency that has been connecting you guys to Honduras for the last few years. And after church today, after second service, we're going to have a very brief meeting for anyone who's interested in going to Honduras in January. So if you've got Father's Day plans, don't worry if you uh, want to make the meeting and go do a Father's Day brunch or something. Uh, we're only going to talk for about 20 minutes or so. We have a little initial interest sheet that we'll leave with you, and you'll have a few weeks to think over and pray about whether you'd like to go down and meet some of the most amazing people on planet Earth. So be thinking about that. Um, we'd love to have you. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers in the room. And uh, I, I, I don't want to disappoint you and say we're not going to be watching clips of Braveheart this morning or anything like that. Um, we are going to be talking about gentleness. <laughs> Gentleness. Um, and actually, whether you are a father or a mother or a husband or a spouse, even if we're talking about friendships, just public interactions, uh, gentleness is an essential fruit of the Spirit and uh, one that's unfortunately lacking in our culture at large and also in the Christian community. And if you need any evidence of that, all you need to do is go to YouTube and find a video that Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist who wrote the God Delusion book, uh, posted years ago of him reading letters that he'd received from Christians. And once you watch that, you'll understand that we definitely have a problem with gentleness, even within the Christian church. And so, as I was thinking about this, you know, we pray often for that we would have more love for other people, that we would uh, be pure, that we would be self-controlled. But who of us ever prays for the grace of gentleness? Uh, I think that's something that we need to do more of, and I think we should do it right now. So let's do that. Lord, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the things that are very clear, and uh, it's obvious to me that your word speaks a lot about being gentle in the way that we are wanting to reflect you in our culture and in our world. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would change us and make us more gentle, conform us to your image, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so the, the verse today comes from Philippians 4, 5, as we're in the Believe series, and maybe we can read this all together. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. And the key question for us today is how do we demonstrate thoughtfulness and consideration towards others? In other words, is gentleness something that we are all known for? And the big idea today is I am thoughtful, considerate, and calm in my dealings with others. That almost seems like a self-affirmation, like one of those things where you're standing in front of the mirror and saying, every day in every way I am getting better and better. <laughs> but maybe we need to be thinking about that. I am thoughtful, considerate, calm in, in my dealings with others. But how are we going to be countercultural when it comes to this issue? Because our culture is off the rails when it comes to a lack of gentleness, right? I mean, all you have to do is look at the political climate and the kind of stuff that's going on. I mean, things are getting violent. Uh, our civil discourse has, has seems to be lacking. It's, it's, it's almost completely gone when you're talking about right and left, uh, Republicans and Democrats, or whatever the parties might be. Psychologist Leslie Charles says, 
the American psyche is headed for a pressure cooker explosion because she sees a society that is getting angrier and angrier and more self-centered every day. She says, many have bought into the belief of the cranky code. The cranky code of conduct. Listen to the cranky code and see if you can relate to any or all of these often subconscious beliefs. I am entitled to what I want when I want it. My time is important and I should not have to be inconvenienced by others. I have the right to be impatient or rude when other people are behaving stupidly. I am entitled to special privileges because I am who I am. I'm a taxpayer. I own part of this road and I have the right to drive as fast as I want. I not only have the right to pursue happiness, I deserve to be happy and I'll do whatever it takes to achieve it. I'm entitled to cheat a little bit in order to get ahead. If I don't take advantage, someone else will and then they'll be one step ahead of me. I work extra hard but don't get paid for it, so I'm justified in helping myself to a few souvenirs from my office to offset what I am rightly owed. I'm too busy to mince around with false politeness and should be able to tell people exactly what I think without having to worry about their feelings. I must be more in the know than everyone else so I can stay one up on them, otherwise they may take advantage of me. I deserve the newest, the biggest, the best, and the most. It's my right. I'm going to die one day, so I may as well get as much as I can right now. So what if I'm rude? I never have to see this person again, so what difference does it make? My opinions and views are more valid than anyone else's. My emergencies take precedent over anyone else's emergencies. And the world is unfair and opportunities are limited, so I may as well get all I can while I can, regardless of who or what stands in my way. The cranky code. Can you relate to any of that? Does that sound familiar to you? Unfortunately, some of those things sound really familiar to me. And I think of that, that, that's the kind of stuff I think of as default flesh settings, right? If there's no Holy Spirit, that is the natural inclination of the human being is to head that, that way. And, and contrast that with our verse today, let your gentleness be evident to all, the exact opposite. Well, you guys have been in the belief series, uh, got the books up here. You're coming to the end of it, and we're looking at the final fruits of the Spirit that are found in Galatians 5. This is one of the contexts where we get gentleness from, and it says in verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So these fruits or virtues are the natural byproduct of a life it's rooted in Christ. If you recall in John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches and apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we're not connected to Christ, these things are not going to naturally come out of our life because we won't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us because of that relationship that we have with Jesus. And it seems like it's kind of a package deal to me. Like it would be weird, I think it would be kind of weird if I said, you know, I'm really, I'm killing it on the peace front but I'm kind of sucking wind on the gentleness front. Like, it seems like these things all kind of go in lockstep, that if the Spirit is working in my life, I may be doing a little better with some of these things than others based on my personality and my background and all that kind of stuff, but if, if the Spirit is working in me, there should be general improvement in all these areas. You may be familiar with the list that occurs right before uh, this list in Galatians, and that's verses 19 through 21, and I don't have it up on the screen, but it says the act... The acts of the flesh are obvious. 
sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, those that, who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very sobering list. Um, like, I don't know a lot of Christians that have ever come up to me and said, Brother, I'm really struggling with witchcraft and orgies right now. Will you pray for me? That's that, you don't hear that, but there's a lot of other stuff on that list. Jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, factions, um, even drunkenness. Uh, that I do know people that have struggled with and have made that apparent and asked for prayer for those sorts of things. And there's some serious implications if your life is marked by that kind of stuff rather than by the fruits of the Spirit. Some people can have a said faith and not a real one where they're just kind of playing the church game. Uh, or someone might be quenching the Spirit in their life and allowing pockets of the flesh to rule them. Uh, they are actually followers of Jesus, but most likely they're miserable because they're not walking in obedience and they're not doing the things that are going to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about gentleness in a lot of places, and I've got some scriptures I just want to toss at you if you want to write these down and look at them later. That's great. Let's kind of move through these together. Colossians 3.12, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 1 Thessalonians 2 says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And then also 1 Peter 3, do not, let your, your, um, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So obviously gentleness is not optional for Christians, so how are we going to cultivate gentleness? How are we going to make this more evident in our life? Really, how are we going to cultivate all of the fruits of the Spirit? Well, if you're filling in blanks today, this is the first one. We grow in gentleness when we submit ourselves to God. But what does it look like when you're submitting yourselves to God? The first thing that comes to my mind is Romans 12.1 where, where Paul says, do not be conformed any longer to the uh, ways of this world, but be conformed to the word of God. Be renewed uh, by the renewing of your minds. In other words, getting the word of God into you and, getting the, uh, and then living the word of God out in front of other people. Aligning our thoughts and our ways with his ways. Communing with him in prayer. And being willing to repent, which is basically agreeing with God that sin is sin and turning from it. Now, for myself, gentleness is not my default setting. Um, sarcasm is my love language. And so I, I, this is an area that when, when I first found out that this was the topic today, I thought, that's great. I get to talk about this thing that I'm the least familiar with. Um, but, I, but I have gotten better over time, and I, I've seen the Spirit working in my life in this. Um, but I'm not off the hook just because that's not the natural inclination of my personality. Some people really are naturally gentle. 
And they're the kind of people that drive me crazy when I'm driving in a car with them because they are so measured in everything they're doing. And it makes me, it, it, it's actually convicting because I realize I don't have to be in a hurry everywhere I'm going and I don't have to rule the road and uh, think that I'm, I, I'm entitled to be first in line and all this kind of stuff. But where this has really come uh, to light for me is in the last year I've been doing a podcast with one of the pastors down at South Mountain Church in Draper uh, called Sacred Skeptics. And we were dealing with spiritual questions, cultural issues, and current events. And um, I had an opportunity to interact with people publicly on topics that I had never dealt with before. And, and there were a couple of people who would rapidly come after uh, this other guy, Rick, and myself on Facebook. And I'm telling you, if there's ever an opportunity <laughs> to blow it on the gentleness front, it's when you're being attacked publicly and being misrepresented or misunderstood. And I realized in the middle of a couple of different conversations, I, I began to type something out, and I thought, whoa, wait a minute. I cannot do that. I cannot blow a gasket on social media. I need mind renewal. I need things like, here's a couple of other ones, 2 Timothy 2, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. And as, as a servant of the Lord, you must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Or Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Man, I found that out fast. If you can just ask good questions, if you can lower the temperature, um, that's much better than just being uh, blowing people away with, even if you think you have the right answer about something. Or Re Romans 12.14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. It's, I'm reminded of uh, George Costanza's father on Seinfeld, serenity now, you know. Sometimes we, we have to do that. The point is, I can't use my personality or the fact that sarcasm is my love language as an excuse to be harsh and abrasive to people. I need to be disciplined by renewal and led by the Spirit of God. Well, one misconception that some people have about this whole topic, and this is another blank in your notes here, is gentleness is not weakness, but strength under control. Gentleness is not weakness, but strength under control. The Greek word for gentleness in Galatians is parates. It means humility, consideration, or meekness. It can refer to tamed animals like horses. If you think about horses, they're incredibly strong and potentially dangerous but it, when they're in the wild. But through training, they learn to obey the guidance of their trainer and become gentle. It's the same type of an idea. And, you know, Jesus mentioned this, these types of people. We don't usually think about it this way, but when he mentions in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, he doesn't mean blessed are the wimpy, for they will inherit the earth. He's talking about people who have strength under control. That's what meekness is. And think about Jesus. I mean, he could have justifiably opened up a can of you-know-what at any time. I mean, he had plenty of opportunities to be uh, very, very upset, and sometimes he was very pointed with his critics, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, he was even sarcastic sometimes with his disciples. But he was usually measured until it was appropriate not to be measured. And sometimes circumstances call for tough love. Sometimes blunt words are appropriate. Um, like when Jesus uh, saw opportunities, uh, opportunists taking advantage of the masses in the temple courts. In Matthew 21, we read Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. 
It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. They basically turned it into a way, uh, just a money-making machine uh, in the temple courts there. I saw this scene acted out in a passion play one time. It was part of a, an Easter celebration in an open-air amphitheater. And the actor who was playing Jesus, when they went, got to this scene, he wasn't just, you know, tipping this over and tapping that and then saying something in a very, you know, sort of flowery way. He was throwing stuff and whipping and, and screaming these words. And as I th thought about that, I thought, Jesus probably was that upset at that moment. And that was completely appropriate to do. Gentleness is not in conflict with righteous indignation. As a matter of fact, sometimes righteous indignation is more appropriate uh, than gentleness. And there are modern equivalents of this in my mind. I don't know how many of you are watching AMC. Uh, maybe you like Better Call Saul or uh, you like The Walking Dead or something. But there's a guy who's running commercials on that, and it's probably not just that station, Peter Popoff. Do any of you know who Peter Popoff is? And his miracle spring water that he's pitching on AMC? I could not believe it when I saw this guy. He's got people up there claiming that this miracle spring water, you know, under the power of God, is healing their finances and healing their relationships. And he's just, you know, and he just wants you to, you know, write to him and he'll send some of this to you. And then, of course, he's going to start uh, shaking you down for money. And, um, Peter Popoff, this is not his first rodeo. This guy back in the 80s was busted for using an earpiece. His wife would go through the audience at his rallies, get people's names, find out what they're sick from, where they lived, and then she would give all that information to Peter through the mouth or the earpiece thing, and then he'd come down and pretend like God was telling him this stuff and it was divine information. And then he was praying for people and having come, people come forward to be, be prayed and healed of things. Somebody figured out what he was doing and busted him. And you'd think that the guy would be gone, right? But here he is, 30 years later. He's like 70 years old. He's worth like $10 million. And that ticks me off. That robs God of his glory. That's a false teacher. You'll find plenty of righteous indignation in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul and others about false teachers and uh, where they're on their way to and stuff. So there are times when we need to have that kind of righteous indignation. There are lots of other people on TV that I could mention that deserve the same kind of um, treatment. God gets plenty outraged about injustice in the Old Testament, um, and he calls us to speak out about that kind of stuff as, as well. Well, the next point is there's a time to demonstrate power and a time to demonstrate godly willpower. You recall at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went into the desert to fast and pray, and Satan tried to get him to go sideways. Um, Jesus could have laid waste to Satan out there in the desert, but instead he modeled how the Word of God speaks to dealing with temptation and adversaries. So in Matthew 4, let's, uh, I think this is probably up there, um, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's probably the biggest understatement in the Bible. Um, <laughs> the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell the, the stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So although Jesus had the power to show his strength, he chose instead to withhold that power. And uh, that kind of begs the question, when do we have that same decision to make? When we could show power, um, we could go for the jugular on something. We may have, you know, the, the righteous reasons to do that, but it's better to show restraint. Social media would be one place. Um, is it more effective to act like a prophet with a bullhorn in most situations? And I would say probably not. You know, this is uh, this last week and then uh, this next week are the Manti pageant down in Manti where lots of LDS people will be going to the pageant. And there are a lot of, of, of evangelicals from around the country that like to go to that environment, live in the uh, state park for a week, and then go uh, to where everybody's coming to the pageant where they're, they're basically reenacting Book of Mormon stories and, and, and early Mormon history. And you have a variety of, of methodologies represented on the streets down there. All the way from people dressing up like Brigham Young and shouting sermons that Brigham Young gave out of the Journal of Discourses to people holding signs that say different things on them, from other people open-air preaching to people walking around with a, a cross you know, just walking through town with a cross. Um, and then there's people that are trying to be, just be conversational with folks. And I've been down there in that environment, and I have to tell you, after living in Utah for almost 20 years, I really question the effectiveness of the bullhorn guys. I really question the effectiveness of the signs. I really question the effectiveness of anything that's in your face that way. I was talking to a, a guy from our church in Draper last night at a party, and he, was quite, he said, Mike, when I was LDS, my only interaction with evangelicals was that. And he said, I, I wanted to have nothing to do with those people. And he said, I don't get what they're trying to accomplish down there. And I think we all need to be thinking that way. Does a bullhorn really get the point across, or are we going to show restraint the way that Jesus did and utilize the word of God? It really helps us to be gentle when we recognize this next point. We grow in gentleness when we see others as God does. In Mark 6, it says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. This took place as Jesus was about to perform a miracle. It was the feeding of the 5,000. And it started because he had great compassion on them. Do we see others as sheep without a shepherd? Um, when I see people rant, and I'm, I'm tempted to be snarky or sarcastic back, when I'm angered by an unbiblical social view that is being aggressively promoted, do I have compassion on those that have been blinded, that hold that position? In my dealings with family and friends who don't share my faith, do I remember that they are unaware of what I know about Jesus? that they aren't going to act like Christians when they aren't Christians. <laughs> I 
Do I hold them to unrealistic standards and do I have unrealistic expectations of them? Do I see them as sheep without a shepherd? Also, next point, gentleness treats others with consideration and compassion. Goes hand in hand with that last one. Again, Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The word for gentleness in Philippians 4 is apiakis. It's a word used to express a balanced, intelligent, decent outlook on life, being a good citizen or an admired person or a trusted individual, all fall under the use of that word. And it's a trait of someone who would work out their differences in a calm way. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example of gentle trust when he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, somebody who is a perfect example of this, and it's not usually somebody who we think of as a real manly uh, example, is, is Mr. Rogers. Do you remember Mr. Rogers? He was gentle to a fault. Um, I'm sure many of us have made fun of him. He's not our first choice, like I said, uh, as an example of, of manliness. But Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. And even though he might not be our poster boy for strength, he had it. I want to tell you a little story about something that happened. At the 1997 Daytime Emmys, uh, Mr. Rogers was presented with the Lifetime Achievement Award. He walked on stage in front of all the daytime stars, GQ men, and glamorous women. He stood at the microphone and said, all of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take, along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are, those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life? 10 seconds of silence. And then he lifted his wrist, looked at the audience, looked at his watch, and said, I'll watch the time. As people realized that he wasn't kidding, <laughs> they did what he asked. One second, two seconds, three seconds. Men's jaws grew tight. Women's mascara began to ran, run. Tears fell from both. Mr. Rogers was an authority figure who actually expected them to do what he asked, and they did. After 10 seconds, Mr. Rogers finally looked up from his watch, made a few short remarks, and said with gentleness, may God be with you. I hope that we could all cultivate that level of gentleness. So let's submit ourselves to God. Let's renew our minds. Let's commune with him and hold each other accountable so that we can be a blessing to other people in this regard. May our gentleness speak of our love for one another and draw people to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as I just said, I pray that we would all um, be disciplined in our seeking of you in becoming transformed more and more into your image and your, your likeness, um, especially when it comes to our countenance with gentleness, with self-control, uh, with peace, with patience, with joy, with love. Help us to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit and impress upon our hearts the, the need to be in your word and to be communing with you on a regular basis so that we can do that. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.